1: Uh, I know, I know, it's Saturday. Rise and shine, or, or just have that lie-in, or go for that run, enjoy that breakfast. We are here, do not worry. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's been, you can hear, can't you? Here I'm in a different environment. That is because I have had to fly over to Ireland. All right, let's go back. Craig, do you still love COVID? No, I'm COVID free, thank you very much. It was just a bit tricky um to record a planned guest because the planned guest was coming round to my house in Manchester and I had to say uh, please don't come I'm not allowed to see anybody and I don't want you getting COVID. so that kind of put the kibosh on last week's episode so thank you for bearing with so I tested positive uh earlier on in the week, which meant it was just a write-off to uh, record, plus I I didn't feel brilliant. And then um, a few days earlier to Testing Positive, I was offered a job to come and film a new TV show here in Ireland. And then, of course, I tested Positive. So I had to speak to... My agent and inform the production company. And I'm going, well, maybe they're just going to get somebody else because this is once they've, you know, once they've locked the schedule down, is it going to be cost effective for them to move everything? Anyway, they were brilliant, absolutely brilliant, very, very kind and sympathetic. And um, they sort of pushed the schedule for me which is great news, hence why I'm here in this slightly echoey environment you can hear. Um, And it's just been crazy and busy, which is why you're getting this on a Saturday. It's a very long-winded way to say uh, apologies for not getting it to you on Thursday, but it was just impossible. I was up at 4.30 to get a flight and then had a very busy day Um, with fittings and makeup tests and what have you. You don't need to know about this. It's all very, very boring. Anyway, I'll tell you what isn't boring is this week's guest and it's only the legend. And I'm not, you know, do you know what? People use the word legend. They, They band it about and it's uncalled for. But with this, I have a true legend that is Les Dennis. No, yes, Les. Les Dennis. Um, and you know how on this podcast I don't really talk about career. I really wanted to talk about career with Les because, and I, I, I talk about it um, in the opener, in, in the whole of five years of talking to everybody who's been on, I don't think there's anybody that has ticked so many boxes in the arts as Les Dennis. You've got variety, you've got working men's clubs, you've got pantomime, you've got sketch show comedy, you've got double acts, you've got um, talent shows, you've got uh, musical theatre, you've got um, going into the soap operas, going into Coronation Street, you've got reality TV shows, you've got opera, you've got the RSC. I mean... You really get a sense of who Les is in this, and he is absolutely and i don't mean this in a patronizing way fucking adorable he's sensitive uh he's honest hes a, he says he says himself you know he 's an open book um and we could have gone on as ever for another hour or so i mean he's just a joy and a delight he's funny he 's got great stories. Uh, We touch on um, influences, Barry Cryer, um, younger self, starting out in Butlins, talent shows, um, his partner, his sketch partner, Dustin G, passing away, 15 years on a game show. I mean, just so much. It's brilliant. I'm so pleased he came on. He's, uh, uh, yeah, he's a legend. It's Les Dennis. This is the Two Shot Podcast with... Let's, dennis enjoy and i shall see you at the end that's amazing that you've um you've managed to swerve it all this time yeah. especially when with work as well so well uh, last year we
0: had in hairspray i mean everybody was going down with it you know so we, mm. i don't know they call me the term an actor i <laughs> 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 love it
1: <laughs> Les, thanks so much for coming on and joining me. I know we had a few technical issues at the beginning when we were both trying to meet up, but we're we're here there now. We're here now, yeah. Because I've been doing this and talking to all sorts of people. I've been listening. I love it. It's great. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. Um, But when I think about you and I think about your career, I'm thinking variety, I'm thinking working men's clubs, Mm -hmm. sketch show comedy game show host, acting, musicals, pantomime, reality TV star. I mean, I don't think I've spoken to anybody with such a (laughs) varied career over the years. And, you know, I only say this because I look back and reflect upon myself and when I was growing up, it was... Growing up in Blackpool, it was all just about acting. That's all I wanted to do. Mainly, I wanted to make people laugh. You know that. That's
0: and, that's and you were in the variety <laughs> entertainment mecca of of Britain, exactly, no?
1: well, and somewhere that you know very well. Yeah. So
0: what what was the the
1: goal or the plan? You know, when you were growing up, because you can't have had uh, wanted to put all those feathers in in your cap, uh, being so young. Surely.
0: Well, it was weird because I started um being interested in the first place when we used to sit and watch Sunday night at the London Palladium on a Sunday night.
1: And which for sorry Les which for younger listeners they won't know what that show is. Could you just sort of expand on that? It
0: was a it was a live variety show um on a Sunday night. First of all hosted by um Bruce Forsyth Uh, Then there was another comedian called Norman Vaughan hosted it. They would have massive American stars, you know. Um, They didn't ever get Frank Sinatra, but they got everybody but Frank Sinatra. Judy Garland came over um, and had to be talked onto the stage by Jimmy Tarbuck. She was in such a a state at that time. Bless her. And um, Sammy Davis Jr. came over. All the big you know, American crooners. It was a variety show as well that would introduce new comedians and um, and variety acts, speciality acts, jugglers and acrobats and all that, and the Tiller Girls. The, the Tiller Girls were the, was the dance troupe of the 50s, 60s that would be on um, uh, Sunday nights at the London Palladium. And at the end of the show, everybody would get onto the revolve um, at the Palladium behind one of the letters that said Sunday night at the Palladium, they'd all be behind one letter and they'd all wave, you know, in the, the tiller, tiller girls and all the, the acts and everybody would all be waving. And I, I would sit and love that and watch it. When Jimmy Tarbuck took over as host, because he was from Liverpool, he had gone to the same school that I'd gone to, that John Lennon had gone to as well, Quarry Bank. And, um, because he was from Liverpool and his dad was a bookie, my dad worked for a bookie. Um, so I thought, oh, maybe this is possible. You know, he came right. around in the 60s during Beatlemania. He had the same floppy hair, the kind of same kind of sharp suits, but with the little um, pocket uh, uh, watch in in his waistcoat. Um, floppy haired. Oh, yes, ba Is that the one? <laughs> <laughs> and I would just sit and, and watch him and love it. So when we then started going to, to Butlins um, as a kid, my dad won the pools. When I say won the pools, he won 250 quid on Littlewood's pools, but that was a lot of money then. and I, we I was managed. to say, yeah. Yeah, we managed to go on our first holiday and uh, carpet the living room and for some um, unexplained reason buy a cocktail cabinet <laughs> that stood in the corner. G plan, it would be so trendy now. But it just was, en- ended up filled with all the, the household bills and everything stuffed inside it, and one bottle of Stone's ginger wine. So <laughs> that we managed to go to Butlins, and there was a junior talent competition, and I went in for it, and didn't get even past the audition, and came out and cried. And my mum said, "Don't worry, there's always next year." And I was like, "Next year." But the next yeah. year, the next year I went back and I did a, an impressions act um, and came third. So I got Little Cup and then I used to go, we went every year then. And when it came to the adult talent competition at 14, um, I, that was the younger stage for the adult competition. I won the heat in Filey against all the older, more established acts and got a week's holiday at the end. So that was my beginning through through Butlin's and, and, um, and I went down the variety route, but I always, at the back of my mind, wanted to act. Oh, did you? Yeah. You were always there. Well, I, when I was at school, I was I was at school um, with... Uh, the, the, the school plays were really high standard. Jude Kelly, who would later run the South Bank and, um, and the West Yorkshire Playhouse, um, and Clive Barker, the horror writer... Um, who wrote all and directed um, the Hellraiser movies? Um, and Doug Bradley was in our school, played uh, Pinhead in those oh movies. No way. So we were all in the school plays together, and I got the lead after a couple of years in those. You know, I, I played As in um, uh, Brecht's Caucasian Chalk Circle. Mm. Um, I was in a, a farce with Clive. And then Clive started writing his own plays and we would perform them. And then, um, then we started taking them to the Everyman Theatre in Liverpool. When the season had closed, we'd do our plays um, as a profit share. and We made no money. But, uh, at, but that, that time at the Everyman, watching the company that Alan Dosser created there, it was extraordinary. I saw Jonathan Price. Play uh, Richard the Third as a white-faced clown in a in a circus ring, and Anthony Sher was Buckingham and Bernard Hill was Clarence, and you know and Wow, Alison Steadman and Julie Walters and Bill Nye Matthew Kelly all these people, Pete Postlethwaite were at the Everyman at this one time. It was the most amazing thing to watch, and I used to sit there and watch it and think, I really want to do that. And then we went with the school to Stratford. And I saw Twelfth Night with Emrys James as Feste. And I remember going, I'm doing the clubs, but I really want to do that. <laughs> and so, you know, later I made the conscious decision to try. I, I, I had thought about drama school, but I'd already started to earn in the clubs. So I, I decided I'd, I'd think about it later.
1: Did you feel that you should carry on at the clubs to get to the, that route? And obviously we'll get to the fact that you did end up at the RSC. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But was was that kind of the plan? You thought, right, well, you'll hone your craft here in the, in the clubs of variety around sort of Lancashire and then step up?
0: I think I remember um, telling Clive that I was not going to go to drama school and that I wanted to be Dave Allen. And he was very... Upset with me, he thought I should have gone down the the drama route and should have gone to you know one of the drama schools. Um, and so I had ambitions, I think, to to make it in the variety world. I think you know it was it was never about the money and the fame. I just wanted to be uh, good. I wanted to do um, stuff on telly and I wanted to to do the the live theatre shows and I loved performing, although it went against every bone in my body because Leslie Heseltine, which is my real name, Mm. you know, Leslie Heseltine shies away from in parties, but Les Dennis, you know, opens the fridge door and the light comes on, he does 20 minutes. They're two (laughs) different people, you know, and I think because they're two different people, that's where, you know, my instinct to act, that's what it was about. I, wanting to become other people. I think as an impressionist, that's what I was doing. I was taking on other people's personas to 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 get laughs.
1: Mm. To sort of hide behind other people. Yeah, so yeah. The, Le- the Les Dennis would step up, and the Leslie Hassel's time would sort of fade off into the background.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so the early days of Les Dennis was me on stage, kind of doing an act as les dennis you know and and then les dennis was doing the impressions of all the other people and then when i was in a double act with dustin g that's when i suppose i suddenly realized that i had to connect with somebody else and and i i developed my own style with him
1: i mean talk about trading. i'm sure back in the, the, the days of variety, you're going to be told very quickly by an audience if you're not doing well. I'm sure yeah. they wouldn't shy, shy away from telling you. Was there any, any times when it just completely crumbled and fell apart for you?
0: Well, the early days in the working men's clubs were were hard. I'm, I'm, well, the very early days weren't because, you know, it was always like, oh, he's only young, he's a lad, he's 17. You know, i go with my mum to the clubs um she would drive me around she was she saw that I wanted to do it and she she wasn't a kind of a stage mum in that sense but she could see that I wanted to do it and so she drove me to all these working men's clubs even though she had a, a job in a factory you know Monday to Friday um worked at Lucas Aerospace in in Liverpool so she worked really hard to help me um and the early days you know they would be like oh he's he's good yeah he's good and then you'd you're as good as your audience or as good as your last performance and sometimes i'd come off and think right well maybe i should give this up because that was terrible you know i i had curtains closed on me um i would always stay on that's the thing um because you know you, you if you got paid off um or if you walked off stage you got half your money and i thought well no oh, really got- oh, yeah you did yeah yeah so you know you were you were if a comic walks off stage and things like, no, sorry, I'm, I've am i had enough, they are going to get their money docked. Um, or they can pay you off if you do your first spot and they go, sorry, lad, you're not what we want. <laughs> Don't do your second spot. Here's half take your take money. Take the money. Take All the right, money.
1: Go, just go. Yeah.
0: So I would stay on, you know, and I can remember uh, being at a club in the northeast, East um, and it was um, uh, a men's darts presentation And um, I I was doing Frank Spencer and (laughs) Mavis Riley. They were new then. I was doing doing all my impressions to a a guy's audience that probably wanted, you know, a a bluer comic, you know. And I emptied the room in five minutes. But I just worked to one table and thought, I'll just do my time. And I used to look at the clock and think, you know um i've got an hour i've got to do an hour and you go through it an hour's material in half an hour quite easily if you're not getting any uh, reaction back but i'd stay on and then eventually the concert secretary at this club came to the side in his booth you know those booths that you kind of see you know on wheel tappers and shunters clubs Mm. where colin crompton had the flat cap and sat in the booth in the corner you know (laughs) give the comic a chance um, this This guy got on the mic and he said, Come off bonnie lad don 't punish yourself <laughs> <laughs> so i you know I had nights like that, but you know then you go back and you have a good night and and it and it 's great and those 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 were people say it 's a great training ground it is a great training ground, but it makes for quite an aggressive comic, the working men 's club sometimes um and you know, when I got into theatre and I realised that, you know, I didn't have to grab the audience in the first three minutes because they were there to watch a theatre show. And, you know, I maybe only had a 12-minute spot. 12 minutes on a theatre stage is, is a good spot, whereas, you know, in a club you need half an hour to get them.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How How was it? You did touch on there about performing a double act with dustin later yeah. on how how easy was it for you to adapt from a, a solo sort of variety performer to 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 sharing and balancing and listening with another person
0: i loved it i loved him um he was uh, he was a star already um when i was a rookie comic i was going around doing those clubs and i got onto the Russ and Madhouse um and became part of that rep company you know, that's 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 what we were because it was sketches, different sketches every week, you know, um, a, a Sherlock Holmes or, a, you know, as they called it, a Barrett Holmes sketch. Um, uh, or, and then a Bond sketch, Basildon Bond and a Cooperman sketch and all sorts of different, you know, you had to be the the comedy feed to, to Russ's comedy. Um, but it was I was, you know, Susie Blake, Sherry Hewson. Michael Barrymore, um, Jeffrey Holland, uh, Bella Emberg, Dustin, and myself. It was a great little unit, and we were all having to learn a pile of sketches and then go on at the end of the week and, and, and uh, record them. So it was a great training for me in that kind of rep training. But um, Dustin was incredible. He was, as I say, he was a star in the clubs because he, even without television, he had this um kind of um what wh- he had that what's the word I'm looking for um his he was his name was accepted in the clubs word of mouth he became a star word of mouth you know right and um it, he was doing impressions of bowie um uh and all the the old rockers um and just filling cabaret clubs and he When we got on the Madhouse and we started the Vera and Mavis, he was the one that said, we should team up. We should become a double. And I was like, really? You're already established. He said, I'd like to do it. So we did it. Uh, We did our first panto with Russ Abbott. And um, on the billing, it said Dustin G in big letters and Les Dennis in little letters. Um, And he went to, we both shared the same manager at that time, he went to Mike Hughes, um, unbeknown to me. And then Mike Hughes called me and he said, "Dustin wants to have me to have a word with you." I thought, "Oh, what's what's wrong?" Um, and he said that Dustin felt that uh, there should be parity of pay. He was getting double my wages, and he said, "We're doing the same job. I want Le- I want to give Les half of my money, or you know, balance it up." So he was incredibly jeal- jealous. He was incredibly He's generous. generous. Yes, yeah Yes, generous. <laughs> um, and amazingly, oh, just so gifted. And uh, my time with him, when people say, what's the best time you've had in the, and I've had a lot of great work and, you know, work with Ricky Gervais and I've been to the RSC and everything, but that time with Dustin was just precious and, and lovely. And he was, He was a a wonderful guy, and he died far too early. Yeah. Do you remember him? Did you? Did you?
1: I I I do remember both of you. I was quite young at the time, but I do remember uh, both of your energy, right? The energy on screen, and he was very twinkly and very funny. You know, there was always quite a nod to the audience through through the tele. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Uh, And Um, he he could, you know, he could go to the the props table and put on um, a hat, a cowboy hat, turn around and pull a face, and Robert Mitchum <laughs> was mm. there. And he would walk forwards and go, I can't do the voice. Um, <laughs> and, and, or, or Larry Grayson, he could put on a pair of glasses, uh, put in some teeth. He loved props. He loved all the, the, the work of getting the look right. And, um, and, he would, and Larry Grayson would be there in front of you. He was fantastic, and uh, I miss him to this day.
1: I mean, it sounded, just you recalling then, it sounded like such a special time for you as a person, but also as a performer, you're creating this new thing, this double act, this this balanced double act that was working and it was fantastic. So how was it for you as a person when he was, you know, tragically taken far too young?
0: Yeah, I mean, as you say, it was an amazing time. You know, in 1979, I was the bottom of the bill with Russ Abbott at the North Pier in Blackpool. And then in 1985, Dustin and I were topping the bill for the whole summer, 20 weeks at the North Pier, which was one of the biggest, most prestigious summer seasons in the country. Yeah. So, yeah. um, and but he kind of... He knew he was on borrowed time. He had a a condition, cardiomyopathy, enlarged heart muscle. Um, And he was, when we opened on that um, first night in Blackpool, um, the show was going fantastically well. At the interval we came off, he said, I don't really feel that well. The doctor came and looked at him and said, you've had a, a mild heart attack. We need to get you to hospital. He said, not before the end of the show. And he was determined to go back on and finish the show. And then he was in hospital for three weeks. And then I had to carry on on my own. Vince Hill was our support act, our, you know, special guest star. And um, I had to go on for those three weeks. And then then he came back and then we had a, a, an amazing series. But he knew he was kind of on borrowed time. But he, he was he was a guy who was... He just lived his life, Dustin. I mean, people said to me, "You've got to be nursemaid. You've got to make sure that he stops smoking, that he doesn't have a drink." And if I ever came came into the dressing room and there was smoke and he was wafting it away, I was like, "Dustin, I'm not. I'm not your nursemaid, and I'm not going to be. It's up to you." So he kind of knew what was was coming, but he wanted to to have that. And it was that final year, and we had our big success on telly and the and the big series the best of the lot, the, the last one we did, the first episode went out and then he collapsed in um, Southport on New Year's Day uh, and died on the 3rd of January and then the series was postponed, so it went out posthumously to great reviews. Um, so, your, sorry, your question was how did I cope after that? It was like the the rug had been pulled from under me, but I knew that I wanted to carry on and um, and he'd given me some kind of legacy, really, so um uh I, I did um, and family fortunes came along really luckily at that time because
1: I was going to say i don't I was wondering if it was ever proposed to you for somebody else to come in, not necessarily to take his place, mm. but for you and you and somebody else to be become another double
0: yeah people did people did suggest it. Um, and say oh you should team up with gary wilmot you should team up with um, nj harvey who actually did team up for a short time with a gal called alan stewart they were a a, an impressionist double act it was an unusual i mean most double acts comedy double acts were comedians um, and sometimes a comedian and a straight man but we were two impressionists and that was unusual so um people did suggest it but i just knew that I, I we wouldn't be able to recreate it. It had happened by accident and it just the chemistry just worked. So I didn't want to ever do that, you know. I I I loved um getting out and and doing my own thing.
1: Yeah, now we're going into another realm, which is game show host. Yeah. So how how the hell did Family Fortunes come knocking?
0: I mean literally it was um Dustin had died in uh 86 um mm. the beginning January 86. And then uh I was then doing kind of uh, kind of went back to supporting Russ in, in summer seasons and things. Um and and did my own uh shows as well. But then uh in nineteen eighty seven um they decided that Family Fortunes was coming back. It, it it had first of all been Bob Monkhouse for I think three years. Uh, then, Max Bygraves had done it, and then it then it had had a rest, and they said, "Do you want to come and host the show?" I was really reluctant at first because I thought well i 've never done this i 've never talked to the public i've talked to them from the stage, but i 've never interacted in in a game show um, and, and I thought and, Can also, I do it? and
1: also and also as you as me this is going to be you
0: as me and yeah. I'm, and I 'm also thinking Bob Monkhouse you know was the master of that show. Max did a good job, but it wasn't really his home. Bob was amazing on that show. I used to, mm. before I was going out to do a club on a Saturday night before video and all that stuff, so I couldn't record the show. I would stand by the door, thinking, "Let's see if they win the big money. Let's see what happens," and and then go to work. You know, he was great at building the tension. That it, it's a game show that has a really good end game, and it does have a, a, a tension to it. Um, you know, people say it's one of the best. And but Pointless is kind of Family Fortunes in reverse you know, you're looking for the um, toughest answer instead of the top answer, but it's a hundred people surveyed. Um, they, the guys, uh, Richard and, um, Alexander have said that to me, but, um, yeah, it was, it came along. And at first, if, if I look back we we recorded 26 shows in three weeks and I thought I've got to do jokes like Bob does for everybody. And it, it's not my thing. And it, didn't really work but they kept with me um and you know that first series you've done um 26 shows and it's it's there you you can't go back and go right that that doesn't work let's change that tomorrow (laughs) or next week um so i i feel very lucky that i got through that first series because i then it twigged with me that it came organically out of the you know the the connection with the people and the silly answers they'd give me so yeah i loved it it was you know i little knew that at that time that it would be 15 years um of me hosting that show and being on saturday night telly for 15 years people always used to say that you were part of our saturday night when we were getting ready to go out um we'd be watching blind date and family fortunes so (laughs) thank you and i love that i love that i was part of people's saturday night
1: but of course you were, and that's fifteen years, and that's a yeah. peak Saturday night telly yeah. where the ratings for Blind Date and Family Fortunes yeah. were huge.
0: I think I think at the, the the peak we were getting sixteen million, you know, because there were still only you know in the in the late eighties still only four channels, so you know, yeah, uh, yeah, it was it was incredible, really,
1: yeah. So you've now sort of honed your craft as a game show host. Yeah. After those 15 years, was it time to jump onto another game show? Was that the next goal, or did you, was the acting still at the back of your mind? What was your plan after that? Because I'm sure it opened up a lot of doors for you.
0: Well, what was great for me about Family Fortunes was that it was three weeks that we recorded the series in. Uh, we'd do three a day. Uh, and that would be me set up for telly for six months. Um, and then I could go and do other things. And um, Mike Hughes, who I mentioned, who was my manager with um, D- Dustin, you know, he was very much stay, stay variety, stay in variety. And I was like, I really want to branch out. I'd like to do some acting. And he wasn't very keen. So we parted ways very amicably. And I, um, I found uh, an agent, um, Jan Kennedy and she had a a drama department. And I I made the decision to go off and um, do a a play at the Watermill Theatre in Newbury or Oldham Rep. You know, um, well, well, actually, a a director called Ewan Smith made that first decision for me. I was walking through Highgate Village and he said, I wanted to come read for me for a play. And I was like, Really? it's something I've always wanted to do he said I think you can do it so I went and read with him Skylight by David right. Hare
1: wow great play great play.
0: great play you know <laughs> and um yeah I, I I read that with him and he and Jill Fraser who then ran the watermill said yes let's do this and I did David Hare's Skylight uh, myself and Teresa Gallagher uh it's kind of like almost a apart from the the i can't remember the guy who played the son my son in it um apart from a couple of scenes that book ended with uh, um the girl and 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 the son um the the center is is this um couple this this restaurateur who has gone back to meet um his old mistress and it's a it's a wonderfully dense play so that yeah. was real baptism by fire. You know, people going, Les Dennis doing this. You know, Bill Nye had done it at the National, I think. You know, Gambon yeah, had done got, it. But the, in a
1: way, you've got to remember, you know, you just you said it yourself there, Les Dennis doing a play. Do you remember when uh, people were saying, Matthew Kelly doing a yes. play? Yes, yeah. Do you know, it's, it's Absolutely. Like you, you, you know, and you did mention about Matthew Kelly before, but obviously there's parallels because yeah. Matthew Kelly yeah. presented game shows and stars in their eyes for, for such a long time. Yeah, absolutely. But and also, you've said to yourself, acting was always there, even yeah. from young. It's always been something that you wanted to do, but yeah. it's just about how odd the career paths take us that we yeah. come back round to it. That we come
0: back, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I quote this a lot, and I, you know, but The Guardian said when I did um, Adam's Family, in the long, strange career of Les Dennis, he makes yet another left turn. Now, at first, I was like, oh... That's not very nice. And then I thought, well, wait a minute. It it actually does say that, you know, I'm I'm going full circle. So, you know, um so it is you know, I take it as a compliment that that um, <laughs> funny review. So uh yeah. And and I'm I'm always Denise Welsh and I are always talking about the fact that we're revelations. Because she's known for loose women, when she goes and does a play, um and she's great, um people go Revelation, and I get that a lot as well, and the, and I keep getting it. You know, you keep having to to prove, you know, to audiences that you, and to to critics that you can do it.
1: But it's in a way, you're not even proving to them. You're shocking them. Yes, and that, I yeah, think that's yeah. that's one of the biggest compliments that yeah, you can I do. Is you can shock yeah. them and go, wait a minute, yeah, you, because you, you know everybody's sort of constantly going, yeah, but you thought I could do this, but actually, <laughs> yeah, look, yeah. I, this is what I've always kind of wanted yeah. to do, and I can yeah, exactly. do it. Yeah. And I've, been yeah.
0: Doing
1: a, I've been doing a deep dive recently over the past sort of few months um, on Barry Cryer, and I've always uh, loved and sort of respected mm-hmm. Barry and his work. And um, I was listening to a lot, a lot of interviews with him. And Me too. I've been listening inevit- to aren't they fantastic? And then inevitably, some of the same stories do come up. Yeah, But when... Barry tells them or he's telling yeah. one of his incredible jokes about a parrot. Yeah.
0: yeah. And it's <laughs> the parrot jokes are incredible,
1: aren't <laughs> they? It's incredible. Yeah. But it's every time it never fails to make me laugh because he's laughing and telling this anecdote or yeah. this joke. Like it's the very first time yeah. he's ever told it. He
0: he was wonderful and a friend. Um, he worked on with me and Dustin and with Russ and and uh, we had he I was one of the comics that he'd ring on on your birthday you know cause oh. uh, and, and I knew i 'd get a call from you know Barry on my birthday, or like for instance when I became a a dad again at fifty five he called me and said fifty five you don 't look fifty five I bet you did once <laughs> <laughs> he said it 's a great ace to be a new dad because you 're up three times a night anyway <laughs> so i i was last sunday i was Honoured, Graham Garden called me and asked me if I would host. uh, They did a tribute. Barry Cryer, he should have been at the Slapstick Festival last Sunday. In Bristol. In Bristol, yeah, um, doing his one-man show, and it ended up that it was a tribute to Barry, and I hosted it, and Colin Sell... And Graham from um, the the um, I'm sorry, I haven't a clue. And um, Barry's son Bob Cryer, who did some wonderful. Have you listened to those the podcasts with? Yeah, I've listened
1: yeah. to. I listened to all of them. Yeah. Well, oh, you
0: know, um, they were there, and we just reminisced, and we showed clips, and and the audience exactly like you say, even if they knew it, and somebody told the parrot joke, and then somebody in uh, in the one of the memories told the same parrot joke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the audience still loved it they just loved he had a a great twinkly smile lovely oh. funny man you know he just yeah. loved life yeah bless him and
1: also and also somebody with such a career yeah. such a career in comedy but was a huge huge supporter of new up and coming comics and stand ups yeah. now um and it always sort of—I always think of the comedy world sometimes as quite, quite a tough, tough world to yeah. break into. Yeah, well, it is. I don't know any—I don't know anybody that um, didn't have time and respect for somebody like Barry mm, Cryer.
0: Yeah, yeah, he kind of everybody across he—he he, he didn't think that when when I first started, he was like he was welcome. You know, come in, you're welcome. He was—he—he he didn't. He didn't worry, he didn't feel threatened by anybody. And um and loved comedy across all the strands, you know, from alternative, as they call it, you know, new wave and, you know, the variety guys. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And not a snob. Not no, a snob not, about n- comedy n- never, at all. No. But but love the intricacies yeah. of it. Did love you get how to meet it made him? it
0: work. I
1: did I did I got to meet him about I think it was about three years ago. Okay, great. Right. And um he was talking with um, Andrew Collins, uh, the journalist, and Andrew said, right. oh, Craig, Craig, come over here. Uh, <laughs> and after Barry was halfway through, obviously, an anecdote <laughs> yeah. to, to, like, four other people. Yeah. And Andrew Collins went, Craig, come over here. Come, come, come and meet Baz, come Baz. and And uh, Andrew went, uh, Barry says, Craig, Craig, love to meet you. So anyway, and, ca- <laughs> like, and then
0: carried on with this stuff, yeah. and it was Amazing. just like...
1: You're welcome into the story, but I'm holding court now. And it was just brilliant.
0: Andy Hamilton (laughs) said that, he said, uh, Barry Cryer's anecdotes hunt in packs. (laughs) (laughs) Les, when
1: you were invited in to the Big Brother house, it was very early on... uh, I suppose people were still thinking that Big Brother was this... Sort of social experiment, yeah. Um, what were your intentions going in? Because <laughs> it's we will we'll, we'll just talk talk briefly about what happened in there. Yeah. For people that, that don't remember, but starting off, it's it's quite an. It's going to strip it away. You're going to be quite yeah. naked going in there because uh, it's hard, isn't it? Because I think if you go into one of those shows. Do you put on a performance? Do you mm-hmm. just sort of strip everything away? Do you be yourself? What what was what was your thinking behind it?
0: Well, I if think, any, I think the kind of for me, if I'm honest, and I I'm always honest, um, mm. it, it was not about um, oh we're doing it for charity, which everybody said. You know, um, yeah, it was great that that it was. I mean, we didn't get paid. It was very early on, and before people started getting massive fees for it, um, and it was it was the first real endable celebrity one that they had done one for comic relief, if you remember, with yes. Jack D, where Jack D kind of escaped, which was all comedy and um, and Vanessa um, Felts and everybody, but it was and uh, Claire Sweeney, I remember, came out of it really well, and I thought, oh, great that's like a a good way to get a reboot because the phone wasn't ringing that much. Family Fortunes had ended. I was going through a lot of stuff in my private life that was, you know, I was being called Les Miserables by the, um, the tabloid press. Um, and, you know, my personal life seemed to be all over the papers, um, more than what I was doing. So, I thought, well, if I go into that, it might be a reboot. I might get something out of it. Um, so little- it was a, it,
1: a reinvention, is what I was looking for. Yeah, yeah.
0: I was looking for. Let's, <laughs> just before
1: we just before we get into that, big brother, you just touched on how um, the tabloid press yeah. were, were treating you at that time, and f- from from the outside, it seems that seems very cruel to me. Mm. How 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 did you cope with that?
0: I think at the time you thought, oh well i i I' have asked for this. i you know um I am in the public eye, um I have to expect um the the downtime the I think Lenny Henry said to me one time he said, it's the fame attacks um now with hindsight, and having found out that I was hacked for nine years you know, um, post, uh, Levenson inquiry and, you know, and, um, was part of that whole, um, thing of, of newspapers hacking phones. Um, you know, I, I, <laughs> I, I disagree with the idea that they should have done it, but, you know, but it was, you know, I was going through it when you're living through something like that, when you, when you wake up in the morning and you look out your window at six o'clock in the morning and there are six cars Parked across the road with journos in it, you know, until six o'clock at night. When you then, you know, I had to at that time, um, art imitating life. I was playing, um, Amos Hart in Chicago, Chicago, yeah, Yeah. Mr. (laughs) Cellophane. So, and I would, (laughs) I would, you know, run out to my mate's car and jump in, and he'd get me to the theater. But as we were leaving my house, there were photographers bouncing off the front of the car, you know, to get a shot. I felt like I'd, you know, committed some massive crime. Um, so when you're going through all that, you know, um, you, just, you just have to live day to day with it, you know. And, and when I look back, it was just extraordinary. Yeah. It's,
1: I can't imagine it's quite a lot to take on because, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, you, you always come across, you've already said this anyway, very honest, but yeah. also quite quite a sensitive... Human yeah. being,
0: yeah. I hope so. You know, I hope. Well, I am. No, you,
1: well, you do. And talking to you now, you yeah. know, I think you do. But a very, you know, a very human. Mm. Yeah. You're, yeah, you're a human being. You know, I'm an open so,
0: book as well to to a lot of extent. You know, I don't. Um, I wear my heart on my sleeve, and um, and uh, and sometimes you get burnt with that. So yeah, it, going then into Big Brother, thinking, well, maybe this will be a reinvention, was not necessarily my greatest moment. But if I hadn't done it, you know, Ricky Gervais wouldn't have come calling. And that no. that was the reinvention. But just to illustrate in the the Big Brother house and, you know, the editing of stuff, um, I remember that uh, one day Mark Owen was sitting with his guitar and he was singing, because the drugs don't work, they just make you worse, singing away with his guitar. Uh, and I'm very suggestible. Uh, if a song is sung to me, it's in my head all day. And when it went out on TV, the the episode, they cut Mark singing out. That didn't, that didn't make the cut. They just had me at the end of the show as the credits rolled across the bottom in the jacuzzi singing, because the drugs don't work. They <laughs> oh, just, <yeah. laughs> so, you know, I, I was talking to chickens thinking it was comedy shtick, but they were summoning the psychologists. So people thought I was having a breakdown. I don't think I particularly was. Looking back at it, you know uh, there have been there have been worse. Um, I mean, it's a ten day experiment for us. We were only in for ten days, and there were only six of us. So you know, it was it, it was like, um, yeah, it wasn't my best moment. But as I say, Ricky Gervais came calling. But
1: I I can't imagine. I mean, back then, obviously now there's people that are ready to go into such an experiment in a yeah. house with six, six or ten strangers. Yeah, it's not something I, I would <laughs> fucking hate. It <laughs> that would be yeah. the worst thing. Um, yeah. So, but when you said about Ricky Gervais calling, yeah, and if for anybody that hasn't seen it, obviously do go and watch Les in Extras, which is brilliant, and you are brilliant in it. But did you ever worry? reading that script or what Ricky was telling you about what he wanted you to do, that you were going to be laughed at rather than laughed with? Uh,
0: I think my friends worried about that more than I did. Um, I got the call from Ricky and he said, will you come in and meet me and Stephen? We're doing this show. And I'd heard about this extra show and uh, uh, we're interested in you playing a twisted, demented version of yourself. (laughs) So they were right up front with it. Um, and I was like, oh really? And they said, think, um, Larry Sanders, think curb your enthusiasm. And once they gave me those reference points, you know, cause a lot of, well, A-listers, I was not an A-lister, but that a lot of A-listers would, um, kind of lampoon themselves in those shows and they're brilliant shows. Um, and certainly with extras he did have, apart from me, he did have A-listers. He had, you know, um, Samuel L. Jackson, Kate Winslet, um, Ben Stiller... Patrick, you know, Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart, yeah. yeah. Uh, it was incredible Like when I went in to see them and, and the board was up there with all the ideas, you know, the cards, you know, when they're coming up with ideas and they uh, put their cards up of, you know, what we'll do in this episode and they went across there and, and there's Samuel L. Jackson, there's Kate Winslet and there's your episode, The Man. <laughs> and it's all... <laughs> all about you and and you're in panto and everything they told it to me and i i went well great yeah i'm really interested and they said is there anything we shouldn't do do you know if and i said go as far as you like (laughs) i said you know and and uh as i was walking out and they went oh um we didn't mention the arse scene (laughs) i went what and they said you're going to be in the dressing room, and they told me about that. And I went, oh, yeah, fine. Do you want an arse double? I went, no, no, you won't get one as bad. I'll do it myself. So um, uh, I went away, and my friends were like, ooh, be careful, be careful. But, you know, I I saw the chance to uh, show that I had a sense of humour about anything. At that time, people were saying Les Dennis is a bit miserable. So I had a chance to go, I'm not, you know. I've just been no. walking the dogs, and you know while I'm picking up poo, I've got a photographer in my face, as I have every day. That's how miserable I am but um but I can show that i I can laugh
1: At which you did, yeah yeah, yeah, and you're far from miserable, Les, how did we get to the r s c and when I say we I mean <laughs> you. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, I uh, like I said, I went to the RSC when I was um, seventeen with the school, and I saw Emrys James in that wonderful production of Twelfth Night, and thought I'd love to do that one day. And I got a call from um, my niece uh, Jodie Mcnee, who I don't know whether you know Jodie. Um, I
1: I think I just saw Jodie Mcnee at the Royal Exchange. You did? Yes.
0: Ago. Yeah in she's adult house
1: yeah she's brilliant
0: she is she's amazing and yeah. um, when she was a kid she used to do impressions and stuff and she was at a road show and um i did a show called um I give you mate a break for itv a talent show and um when i went in to meet all the researchers and everybody they said we found this girl this impressionist in liverpool she's fantastic and I thought that's going to be our Jodie. and I had to declare an interest and say, when they said this girl Jodie mcnee i said i couldn 't go you know host the show and have her there without them knowing it and they went oh that's a problem we 're not going to be able to have her on so i uh, you know I was always her mentor as a you know uh, as a as a, an act, and she started the same way as I did, and then she went to drama center, which I heard you talking to was it um uh uh, well, John, Sim. John Sim, John yeah. Sim, about yeah, and and she was telling me about that. In fact, she she lived at ours in. I I was living in Primrose Hill, so she had the best digs of all the students at the drama centre. And else da- she did? Yeah. One day <laughs> she said to me, Uncle oh, les, I've got to go out. Uh, I need to go and get some Trachy bottoms and Antigone." <laughs> she needed a copy of Antigone. Um, which she eventually did uh, one of her first productions at the um, uh, Nottingham Playhouse. You see how proud I am of her. She's gone. She's done that route that I wanted to do, uh, and she's done so well. She's been at the RSC. She's been at the National. She's been with Cheek by Jowl, um, RS uh, uh, Royal Exchange. Um, I, I've got to go and catch that before it finishes uh, a Doll's House. But she's fantastic, and she rang me um, uh, that year it was two thousand and. 18 I think it was and it was in January and I didn't have anything I had snow blindness in my diary you know what it's like in our business sometimes you're yeah. busy and sometimes you're not and she went has. Eh, <laughs> she still talks like that even though she can do any accent she wants but she still holds on to her very uh Scouse roots she said them, um, our director prasana Puanaraja who I think, again, you've talked to. Yeah, I
1: love him. Yeah, per,
0: um, Prasanna is looking for a Liverpool actor to play me dad in this um, Thomas Otway uh, tragedy called um, Venice Preserved. And I went, oh, right. And she went, do you know any? <laughs> <laughs> I went, what? <laughs> I said, what, what? can I meet him? She went, would you? I think she, was, she didn't want to say, would you be interested in meeting him? Mm. Um, and I went, well, I'd certainly meet him, but, you know, I don't want to get the job just through nepotism because because I'm related to you. So I went to meet Prasanna and Philip Breen, who was doing The Provoked Wife, and um, they said, will you come and do a season? And that was just joy for me, absolutely, to go to the Dirty Duck, even though now they close at 11 o'clock. They don't do a, a late actor's drink. What? What? <laughs> they don't. Uh, eleven and, o'clock. Yeah, and provoked wife wasn't coming down till ten to eleven. <laughs> um, yeah, so but to be part of a, a company, uh, Jonathan Slinger, Caroline Quentin, um, it was it was amazing company to be part of. My my mate John Hodgkinson, and you know. Oh, I love John. Just, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, of course you did, You did, was it Hangman you did with John? Yeah, I did Hangman yeah. with John, yeah. Yeah, well, John and I had done a play before we'd done Neville's Island at um, Birmingham Rep. So, uh, yeah, I, it was a great time to be there and, and be part of that company. But I still haven't done Shakespeare. That's the thing. <laughs> I, well, I that's just anything. one
1: That's one other box to tick. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure you're going to do that because we haven't even touched upon the fact that you've been at the opera. Yeah. as well. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: And I say been at the opera, I mean, I've actually been on stage at the, yeah. at the Opera House. Uh,
0: the English um, National Opera. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And there's one more thing that I, I think you haven't done, and yeah. that's you haven't hosted your own podcast.
0: No, I haven't.
1: Now, I hear, haven't. Hear, me, hear, hear me out, Les. Here we go. Les Dennis' Comedy Heroes.
0: <laughs> Each week,
1: Les sits down with a comedy hero to discuss comic genius there would be
0: a, yeah. a great idea but you heard how we got on starting today how much of a luddite i am and how difficult it was for me to connect but uh yeah i, 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 I would you, love to do that
1: you know that yeah you go get, get a good producer behind you les and you'll yeah. be flying i think that's the way to go I've <laughs> yeah. got one more que- i've got one more question for you yes. Les, because we've well, we've got to go yeah and i ask this sporadically with people but i think it's a very important question i don't think people ask it enough mm-hmm Les Dennis are you happy?
0: I am very happy Um, I'm the happiest I've been in my life Um, I didn't expect I I had a house in uh, that I I did up in uh, and I was living in in Highgate on my own and I you know thought what am I doing this for it's a it's a family house I've got a family house here and I don't have family my Grown up son Philip was was grown up. So um, you know, he stayed with me for a bit, but I was I was rattling around this lovely family house thinking, I'll oh, sell it. So I sold it. My mate got <laughs> said, We'll sell it quickly. So I sold it and then kind of thought, well, you know, I don't need it, I'll find a flat. And then I met Claire, my now wife, and you know, then a family, and I look back at that house and think, that was the house <laughs> and that's what we're trying to create now with this we're trying to create a family house for for us um and uh yeah I, I love having young kids um my son Tom uh was in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory at school playing Mike TV's dad the other night and I was so proud and Eleanor was in uh, Little Shop of Horrors um in the seniors and and um and she did well in that and so i've got this new lease of life you know i'm and, and i'm not working at the moment i was supposed to be doing uh, a musical tour of fat friends the musical with kay Mella, and it with covid and everything fell apart it will it's been postponed so yeah um, but I, but i'm i'm loving being at home taking the dogs for a walk and uh, and cooking on a sunday so yeah i'm Let's very happy
1: Les Dennis, thank you so much for coming on. You're an absolute joy. Oh, um, thank I'm you! Really thrilled. Thanks so much, man. You take care. Thank you. And another episode is done. What did I tell you? I mean, he's just a complete joy, and, and I said that to Les, and I meant it. Um, I'm always so grateful. When people come on this podcast, yeah, that's for one, but when people come on and your, your thoughts about what they will be like and hopefully what the conversation will be like um, ring true, and this was one of them. Um, Les is somebody I grew up with watching on telly, um, and he's quite a perfect guest. He's got so many stories. He's led such a life, um, and I'm really grateful he came And I really hope you enjoyed it. I hope for certain younger listeners, um, it was interesting. You got a you sort of heart back to the clubs of variety. Whether see, and the lots of people that don't that listen to this that don't live in the UK. Um, I hope you got a sense of the uh, sticky carpet smoke-filled rooms of working men's clubs with all sorts of variety shows on, from comedians to singers to impressionists to magicians. Um, yeah, those days are long gone, but it's uh, it's nice to look back. So a massive thank you to Les, whose house, um, he's got lots of building going on, so I'm glad he spared an hour or so. He's, uh, if you follow us and support us on Patreon... Some of his answers, or most of his answers, what well, all of his answers to um, the brilliant quickfire lightning round questions this week are spectacular. So go over to patreon.com slash pod. and if you can support us, and that's great. Now speaking of supporting us, I, yeah, no, I'm not going to tell you, because... Um, we've got a couple of weeks left before we finish this season and on the last episode I'm going to tell you about some extremely cool and I mean that, very cool and exciting stuff that's going to be for you it's going to be for you if you support us oh your days are coming, trust me there's something coming for you Um, if you want to support us just maybe save your money because I think you'll be wanting to support your free podcast that you get every single week with some fantastic guests. Speaking of fantastic guests, the last couple of weeks, I'm hoping that there's going to be a little theme, a television theme, a television theme, an Irish theme, a comedy theme. Can I say anything else? No, I can't. But, uh, yeah, here's hoping. So, um, what else have I got to tell you? A massive round of applause to all our TSP guests who have been on over the years, who have been nominated for BAFTAs this year. I'm talking about Jodie Comer, I'm talking about Mark Munden. Uh, I'm going to miss loads of people, Kayleigh Lee Llewellyn. Um, sorry, I'm thinking of talking at the same time. Joseph Gilgan, um, Santif Basco, and i forgotten. Yeah, loads. Brilliant. Uh, immensely proud of everybody who has been nominated and has been on this show. So if you like, go back and listen to their episodes, because they're great. Um, and certainly people like Joe and uh, Jodie, Mark Munden, um, they don't go on other people's podcasts, they just come on ours, which is the way I like it to be honest because then you don't get the same old stories the same old anecdotes the same old conversations that's what we try and pride ourselves here and that's why you support us and you come in weekend week out weekend well that's fitting isn't it because it's Saturday uh but next week we will be back to normal on a Thursday um just got to get the guest oh wait a minute I think I know yeah, I'm not going to tell you because it's going to be an absolute beaut. Until then, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Um, I'm going to explore. I'm going to explore Dublin and get to know it and fall in love with it. So, until next week, thank you so much for downloading and subscribing and telling your friends and reaching out on social media and emails and supporting us on Patreon. It really, really does mean the world. I am going to stop now and go. I appreciate you. Take care. Until next week, I've been Craig Parkinson. He's been producer Griff. And this has been the Two Shot Podcast. You take care. The Two Shot Podcast is presented by me, Craig Parkinson, recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block. Our music, our brilliant music, is courtesy of Then Thickens. Cheers.